Wednesday, it's old-timey crimey. I am Christy. And I am Amber. And we are here to bring you crimes from the past, from the days of yore and yesteryear. We have quite the trek into the deep south today. Yes, we do. To talk about, uh, I couldn't, in my, my title for my show notes, I couldn't decide between a ballsy bell or the bell from hell. But she's definitely a southern bell. <laughs> that joke will make more sense in a few minutes. So, Or if you look at the title of the episode. <laughs> How about strumpet slaying? Ooh, that's a pretty good one. I like it. I like it. So uh, before we get started, don't forget, please send us your town. We want to know about your town and see if we can try to find a murder there in the old-timey times that you may not have heard of. We've already gotten a couple of submissions, and we're starting work on those, so it's very, very exciting. And I'm really loving when our listeners email us, learning more about them. Yeah, you know, we have um, a listener in Australia who also keeps ducks. Oh, that's awesome! And so she was very excited to find, you know, a podcast with somebody who, you know, very much like her keeps ducks. So, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so we'll have the first one of those uh, old timey towny. Old Towny something um, coming up. The name is still being workshopped, but that'll come up in, in a couple of weeks here. So very, very exciting. We did have a listener get in touch with us on the Facebook page about her own family mystery. And I did try to look into that. Now that was uh, Christina, or Christina, Christina, Christina Macbert Perry. So Christina, I tried to look into this. I have a feeling that I found everything that you found. Because on newspapers.com, you can, you know, save clippings, and all the clippings had your middle or maiden name, whatever Macbert is. So I'm assuming that I'm just kind of following the same trail that you followed. So it was, um, it was interesting that there was a, there was a Benjamin Fisk, who is, is one of her ancestors, and he just disappeared in the middle of a Supreme Court case. Just often vanished. It wasn't like anything murder, nothing like that. It was a property dispute. So that is very strange. Uh, there, I, I suspect that you've also seen that there was a uh, another Benjamin Fisk uh, busted for forgery in 1845. I don't know if it's the same one, but he had been trying to escape to France at the time that he was busted. He never got actually charged for it because it was really easy to get away with shit back then. And uh, I, I suspect it might be the same Benjamin Fisk who disappeared in 1870. Maybe he just did it again, ran off to France again. Maybe he, there was more forgery. I mean, I'm super speculating here, but maybe there was more forgery. And uh, he was like, well, with this, this Supreme Court case, I can't have that come to light. So I'm going to head off uh, overseas. So that's my best guess. I'm sorry I couldn't find more, but that, there's a lot of dead ends on that trail. So, yeah. And, you know, send us your cases, send us your hometown, send us your, your family mysteries, whatever, to oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com, or uh, head over to our Twitter or our Facebook. We are oldtimeycrimey in both places. So, Amber, let's talk about this bell. Let's do it. It's a southern bell named Kate Southern. Her last name is Southern, and she lives in the South. So we're going to start off in Pickens County, Georgia. Now, one thing I learned about Pickens County was if you visit in October, you can attend the Georgia Marble Festival. Marbles? Marble. Marble as in the, the, the stone. Oh, I was really expecting a peach festival. I know, right? But apparently this is a, a really big place for marble. Now, one... <laughs> I love the, the different kind of varied activities. Uh, the festival starts with the Marble Fest Road Race. And if the flyer is any indication, you can also expect bagpipes in the parade. Oh, my. So this year is the 40th annual Georgia Marble Festival. But yeah, marble was a really big part of the county's lifeblood for a long time. The Lincoln Memorial uses Pickens County marble. Oh, all right. As do uh, U.S. military tombstones. So uh, you can also find in Pickens County the very rare pink marble. 
which is very pretty. And it's a lot of marble. In Pickens County, the vein runs five to seven miles long. It's a half mile wide and up to 2,000 feet deep. Wow. That's a lot of marble. That is a lot of marble. So into this community was born Catherine Hamrick, also called Kate or Kath. We're going to go with Kate because that's just the most frequent name for her. Her father was well off and Kate was called, quote, pretty strong-willed and impetuous but generally liked. Over on A Murder by Gaslight, they have her uh, described as slender and beautiful with dark eyes and luxuriant auburn hair. And of course, we get some notes in the newspapers about her fine, supple figure. And one paper called her the Belle of the Mountains. So um, I did see a newspaper article that said that her father was one of the best men of the county and that she was beautiful and dignified and generally considered a good Christian woman. Very much a good Christian woman. In fact, uh, she kind of frowned on such activities as dances and balls, which is rare for this time period. We're talking um, in... 1876 is when a lot of the events here are going to happen, or at least when it's going to kick off. So she uh, found a man named Bob Southern, who, according to the New York Daily Herald, was a handsome, reckless fellow. Another newspaper called him a handsome, dashing mountain buck. There you go. So we've got a buck and a bell of the mountains. So he fell for her, and she was smitten with him. And in the fall of 1876, they married. He was 20 and she was 18. However, it seems like for at least some of the relationship leading up to the marriage, there was another woman sort of dancing around the periphery and, and spending some time with Bob. Her name was Narcissa. Now, the last name depends on what newspaper you're reading. I think I go with Cowart. C-O-W-A-R-T, who Murder by Gaslight tells us was pretty plump and blonde. So everyone's pretty and handsome and just running around in their, their pretty dresses with their giant hoop skirts, and it's very Southern. Southern. So the timeline's a little uncertain, but it seems like the Southerns had been married for maybe about a month when all of the big stuff in this story went down. So... A lot of uh, Narcissa's mm, activities during their relationship had to have been prior to their marriage, I would say. So Narcissa was actually, her maiden name was Fowler. Yes. Yes. So uh, she had her husband's last name. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot <laughs> to Narcissa. And there was a lot before and a lot after the yeah. marriage. Yeah, yeah. The marriage didn't really seem to stop. Um, and it seems like the husband left, or at um, least people said he left, because of Narcissa's intimacy with Bob Southern. Well, and others. And others. <laughs> so when the timeline that I, I had read was Narcissa got married. And soon after she got married to her husband, Scott, she started sleeping with other men. And that she was so outrageously unfaithful to him that he just up and left. He, he had enough of it. And then her sights turned to another married man. And she started sleeping with him until she broke up their home. And they split up. And then her sights turn to Bob. She has quite the romantic history, shall we say? I don't think romance is involved. She has quite the uh, sexual history. There we go. <laughs> That's better. Loves her a married guy. I think, I think Bob marrying Kate only made him more attractive in her eyes. Mm -hmm. She was like, oh, okay, target acquired. You got married? All right. <laughs> she seems to really just be attracted to things that she should not have. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say she can't have because obviously she's proven that she can. She can. She can. But things that she should not have is really what 
strikes her fancy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like Kate definitely knew about this. She had heard some information about Bob and Narcissa out walking together in the woods. Maybe it was nutting day. Who knows? Um, there was probably lots of nutting days. There was probably. And so after they married, Kate talked to Bob into moving 14 miles away, specifically to get away from Narcissa. So she was doing some some crazy stuff. Not only these walks in the woods, but Narcissa went to Kate's father and said, like, and this was before they were married, went to her father and said to Kate's dad that all these terrible things about Kate and that, that Kate was the one whoring around and that he should not allow Bob to marry Kate because something bad would happen to Kate. Huh. Huh. Oh, there's going to be some bad things happening. <laughs> so she was basically a veiled threat of, look, Pops, if you allow your daughter to marry the man that I want, something bad might happen to your daughter. Something bad. That's a nice daughter you got there. Be ashamed if anything happened to her. Pretty much. Like, <laughs> this bitch was crazy. <laughs> and, yeah, Kate's little sister said basically that uh, that Miss, Mrs. Cowart had slandered her sister and used every device to separate her from her husband. So, Kate was not happy about this. And I, I think her, I think she did have a jealous streak uh, but it was justified in this case, for sure. It was super justified. Yeah, yeah. It, there were several scenes, as we learn from the newspapers, which to me implies that she caught them walking in the woods or doing whatever else they were doing in the woods and confronted them. It's not really clear, but it seems like these scenes, like every time she caught them, just seemed to stir things up more, made Bob more brazen, made Narcissa want Bob more. You know, it just seems like the more drama that fed into it, the more these two were like, yeah. Oh, they loved it. They loved it. They loved the drama. So from the book, The Sad Case of Mrs. Kate Southern, there was actually like a, a story of how their conversation went. So Kate was at home and Bob was out all night and he finally comes back and Kate is like, you need to stop doing this. Tell this woman to get away from you. Because you married me. I am your wife. I am at home waiting for you. Don't you think I would worry about you? Yeah. And he's like, well, if you're so worried about it, just stop listening to what the neighbors are telling you. <laughs> and she's like, no, you're my husband. You are supposed to be with your wife. And he's like, well, I didn't realize when we got married that I would have to still court you. And she's just like, excuse you, am I not still courting you? Am I not still making your meals and keeping your house? Excuse you. And he like kind of like shut it down and was just like, the only problem here is that you're listening to what people are telling you I'm doing, which I am doing. Yeah, yeah. The problem is not that I am doing these things, or specifically Narcissa. Um, the problem is that you're listening to people when they tell you the literal truth. <laughs> Stop yeah. doing that. Come on. If it bothers you to hear the truth so much, just stop talking to people. Don't get hysterical. Yeah, like, the account of the conversation really, really irritated me. <laughs> I can I can see that, and I can feel it, too. <laughs> I'm like, Argh. If it's such a problem, just don't pay attention to it. <laughs> right? If you don't like that I'm sleeping with other people, turn a blind eye. Come on. What are you doing, lady? Trying to mess up our happy home here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is this is not what you want in the first couple months of marriage. And Kate, it seemed to really affect her physically and mentally. She was having seizures. Uh, sometime in December, in the in the lead up to everything that happened, she was said to have had three in one day. Her condition was called nervous and unbalanced. But as all this is happening, uh, Christmas is coming. It's a time for presents and punch and parties. And so Kate's family held a Christmas ball. And without realizing it, all three corners of this love triangle were going to be there. Kate and Bob had decided to visit her family for the first time since they'd moved. 
And it just so happened to be the day of the ball, which she didn't even know was going to happen because she didn't like them. So they weren't like, hey, Kate, come to our ball. She wouldn't have come if she'd known. So she is at their house and she asks her family, what are so many people coming in for? And she finds out it's the ball. She threatened to leave, but they begged her to stay. And I bet a lot of people regretted that later. It would be, as one can guess with these particular uh, flames that are flickering here, quite dramatic. As the Daily Herald tells us, quote, no one suspected the extent to which the devilish spirit of jealousy had taken possession of the wife. Oh, please. Oh, please. Maybe the devilish spirit of his penis should stay in its pants. Maybe. Just maybe. This whole thing irritates me. <laughs> this whole thing. So Narcissa is invited to this ball. Or some people say she crashed it. There were two different sources there. Regardless, Narcissa shows up. And she shows up with a man, too. She has a man named Lewis. She's on his arm. Not for long. Because Not for long. she has her laser sights on Bob. So Kate looks at her husband and is like, no matter what... Do not embarrass me. Do not dance with her. Don't even talk to her. You are here with me, your wife. Yes. If we are to stay, do not dance with her. And went so far as to approach Narcissa and was just like, leave my husband alone. Yeah. If he tries to talk to you, just walk away. Pretend it didn't happen. You're here with somebody. I'm here with my husband. Like, just be decent. <laughs> That's all I'm asking is be decent. This is at my family's house. Literally, yeah. Be respectful. Stay away. Yeah. And did Narcissa do that? Absolutely not. No, 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 no. She did not. Uh, it's unclear who asked who to dance, but probably it being the South in the 1870s. This is 1876, by the way. I think I forgot to tell you the year. Um, but Bob Southern probably asked Narcissa to dance, and she accepted. He took her out on the dance floor. I do have they waltzed away, but I later learned it was a quadrille. Oh. So oh. they quadrilled away. So Kate stormed out to the dance floor, and she told them, enough's enough. Stop dancing. They ignored her. Well, she tried to cut in. Yeah. She's like, Bob, you promised me this dance. And I think she started out probably with that. With, Bob, you promised me this dance. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Narcissa. Let me dance with my husband. And both of them are like, no, go away. And basically, Bob picked Narcissa's side over his wife. And uh, the papers tell us, the husband decided in favor of Miss Cowart and led her down the middle, flushed with excitement. Yeah, I bet it was flushed. Um, oh, well, the excitement was raised and out of tension. <laughs> yeah, right. Kate, in response to this, goes out looking for her daddy. She goes and finds him, and she told him, you know, she needed to borrow his pocket knife. He said, what for? And she said, well, I got to trim my nails. <laughs> That's totally normal to do in the middle of your family's Christmas party. <laughs> Why not? I personally like to clean my ears during parties. I find it makes people feel at ease. They feel at home because... They know you're listening. Exactly, yes. Another account uh, has her telling him she wanted to, quote, cut a toothbrush. Which old-timey times are funny. So she hid the knife in her skirts. And as the song came to a close, she approached her husband and his dance partner. The accounts that we have are, are quite specific. She grabbed Narcissa's arm and said, you have danced enough. And then she stabbed Narcissa in the chest with the pocket knife. But she wasn't finished. She then grabbed Narcissa by the hair, pulled her in like for an embrace, and slit her throat. So as you can guess, Narcissa is dead. And it happened so fast that no one was really aware of it until her body hit the floor and there was a pool of blood around her. So somebody in the house, he's referred to as a floor manager. I don't know what that is. Um, maybe like a, a butler or something? I don't know. He called out, what man did that? Kate puffed out her chest and said, I am the man that did it and I don't regret it. Good job, Kate. That's, I mean, I hate to cheer for a murder. I'm not cheering for her killing Narcissa. I am cheering just for I her, am. her. Of course you are. I'm cheering for her uh, standing up for herself. In a way. Well, and also... Not, not, not in the way that she killed Narcissa, but in the way that she stood up to the floor manager. Like, oh, yeah, of course a man had to do it. But also, Narcissa was a disrespectful bitch. 
hate to slam the victim, but she kind of was one of those messy bitches who loves to stir up drama. <laughs> well, according to somebody that was there, before this even happened, Narcissa started a physical altercation with Kate. Mm. She was sitting next to her husband, and Kate literally pulled her hair and was just, like, shit-talking her and hit her several times in the head, huh. apparently. One thing I think we do need to keep in mind, as, as much as we might enjoy hating on Narcissa, is that this story is all told by the Southerns after the fact. We don't really get much. We get uh, a little later, we get a little something from an ex-sister-in-law of Narcissa's. Um, but we don't get hardly anything from about her that's not from the mouths of either the woman who killed her or that woman's family. And it we definitely, there's a huge bias there, obviously. <laughs> so we have to realize that, like, as much as it's, kind of fun and, and, and jaunty to paint, you know, Narcissa as the evil villain, man-stealing bitch, you know? And that could be just the, the paint that was thrown on her um, in an attempt to make Kate look like a, a good guy. And, and I will agree to that to an extent, but mm. I also think that her, her actual history speaks volumes to it as well. If true. If true. Her, her history definitely does speak volumes. Too. Yeah. Her husband walking out on her because she was cheating and breaking up another marriage before this even happened. Yeah. And she had a lot of, of threats and stuff before that. Like, So even one of her best friends at this party said that... Narcissa was like, I'm going to start some shit. You got my back? Huh. And it's just like, so she she knew what she was doing. And, and as much as you, you want to paint her because she's a victim as somebody that is innocent, like, she didn't think it was going to go this far, but she was out to start some shit. She, she was. I do believe from, from the descriptions of her actions we have that she was. And you know what? Just because somebody was murdered does not automatically make them a saint. So there, there's a lot I of mean, different I, I angles feel like here. a lot of a lot of people like especially when we get into like the the criminals where they're like murdering each other. It's just like, yeah, I mean, I I, I get it. <laughs> I understand. You're in the mob. What did you expect? Like <laughs> <laughs> That's why we hardly ever do mafia stories anymore because so much of it is just what did you expect? You know? Yeah, and like, it's always inevitable. And you never feel bad for anybody in those stories because you're like, yeah, I mean, it was bound to happen. Yeah, there's no real heart in them. Like, I, I need a story with, with it, even, like, emotions that are aside from greed and, and the lust for power and control. I need emotions. Positive emotions. You need positive emotions. Well, like I need that. some emotions. I mean, I'm sure the emotions Kate was feeling weren't exactly positive in that moment. I mean, she stabbed a lady and then slit her throat. So, but she was feeling, you know, one of the emotions she was feeling was an overwhelming love for her husband and also an overwhelming hatred for Narcissa. Yeah, she should have pointed that rage at her husband too, in my Honestly, opinion. yes. But it's really interesting how this happened. Um, because Bob, who has been, you know, up Narcissa's ass this whole time, when the floor manager says no one would leave until they settled the matter, Bob said no. That's that's not how this is going to go. He whipped out his gun, said he was leaving and taking his wife with him, even if he had to wade through blood. So all of a sudden, Narcissa is dead and Bob's like, okay, all right, I, the marriage thing, I get it. Yeah, sure, I guess I should support you even when you're murdering people. So like, I'm not sure if it was like an, oh shit, that's hot, hmm. or an, oh shit, I'm next. Yeah, yeah, it could have been even both, like a mixture. But he really, he did love the drama, and this is about as dramatic as it gets. I, I That's uh, really, I think, as soon as he saw that, it was like, oh, you can do drama? You can do drama better than she could. <laughs> Fuck yeah, I'm hard. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like natural-born killer shit right now. Really, yeah. So, Bob's brother, Jim, had his back. And between the two of them and their guns, they managed to get out of the party with Kate. The whole family escapes. Well, I mean, a lot of it. The next day, Bob, his brother Jim, possibly his brother Miles, 
and his father, as well as Kate, were nowhere to be found. And the thing to remember about this is that his brothers and his dad, they, they had families too. His brother Jim was married for uh, almost three years. He and his wife had a one-year-old and a four-month-old. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem like, as far as I can tell, the wife joined the family on the run. She stayed home with the kids, it seems. And Miles, the other brother, he, <laughs> he was married, had no children that are listed as of yet, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And they also were... These three were the eldest of the 10 Southern kids. So Bob's father went with them, leaving behind his wife and the other seven children, the youngest of whom was 15 months old. So lots of leaving babies behind Lots here. of leaving babies behind, because I think all the men in the family like the drama. It does seem that way, yeah. They really, really closed ranks around Kate. They circled those wagons and circled them good. So... Both the governor and Narcissa's father offered rewards. The governor offered $150, which is $4,200 today. Narcissa's father offered $250, which is $7,100. But in the, at this point, the Southerns were in the wind. There were attempts to track them, but nothing really came of it. Little of this was mentioned in the press, but while they were away, it seems like Kate's little sister, who was 14 was brought to account for whatever part she was suspected of playing in this crime. She was considered an accomplice. Yeah, yeah. She said that she was just getting into it and trying to separate the two, but it looked like she was also trying to attack Narcissa. So she got two years as an accessory. And and according to one account, she was maybe kind of an accessory. Yeah, it really depends on almost the angle that you viewed this attack from. Whether she was trying to calm things down or help stir them up. Yeah, because like one account was like, well, it looked like Narcissa was going to get the upper hand on Kate. And then she distracted, the sister distracted Narcissa. And then Kate started swinging and didn't stop swinging mm -hmm. until the fight was over. Very over. Very final. And by swinging, you mean stabbing. Yeah. Um... But, like, that doesn't make sense to me because Kate wasn't swinging unless they just didn't realize she had the knife and then did the one to the chest and then the, the neck. I mean, they might not have realized that just this past week when Sam and Rushdie was attacked, initial accounts were uncertain whether he was punched or stabbed. Yeah. I mean, we now know he was stabbed, but, like, initial accounts, they were like, oh, he might have been punched, he might have been stabbed, and it was like you would think they would know. <laughs> So, I mean, it is very possible that from an angle it, it looked like it was punches being thrown or like a girl fight because she did grab Narcissa by the hair. Yeah, yeah, and everything seemed to happen pretty quickly. She's she's a, she's a polecat, this one. Yeah. I don't think the sister should have gone to jail, though, because I don't think she knowingly was being an accomplice. I think she was like, oh, my gosh, guys, what what is happening? Don't hurt my sister. And maybe, like, grabbed her by the shoulder or something to pull N Narcissa away from her sister, not realizing what was going on. Or just assumed from past history that Narcissa was the aggressor. Exactly. So, like, I don't think that she intentionally was an accomplice, but she may have distracted Narcissa enough that Kate got her opening. Yeah, without intending to. The, uh, the Southerns were on the run, and uh, a year and a few weeks pass. It's early winter, 1878. There is a detective named W.W. W. Findlay, a gentleman of great energy and nerve, as he's described. And he was living about 45 miles from Pickens County, uh, right by the border with North Carolina. And he caught word that the Southerns were living and farming in the town of Franklin, North Carolina. It's a little over 100 miles from Pickens County. So the detective... Got all the papers he needed. He gathered up some men. Get yourself a little posse. And he headed to Franklin, where he found nothing. nothing. <laughs> the Southerns had fled their farm just that morning, whether they caught word that he was coming or it was just happenstance that they were determined to keep on the move. Uncertain. So he tracked them, this detective, Finley. 
After about five days, he managed to catch up to them 50 miles away in Murphy, North Carolina. I won't, I wouldn't think it would be hard to find them there. In 1880, so two years after this, the population of Murphy was 170. Yeah. Yeah. And Frank's a very small town. Yeah. And Franklin wasn't much better, had a population of 207. So. New people stick out and draw attention in smaller towns, especially it's a whole family of them and their drama kings and queens, like this family. Mm-hmm. Although some accounts say that they, quote, traveled in such force that they were able to prevent any searching inquiries into their affairs, but the people of the districts are uh, able to prevent any searching inquiry into their affairs. But I guess when traveling with such force, maybe you hop a toll gate here and there. <laughs> And so when traveling to Murphy, they just bypassed the toll gate and didn't pay. And they ended up having a back and forth with the toll gate keeper. And then when Finley came along, the toll gate keeper told him, you know, these folks were pretty heavily armed. They were insolent. They were defiant. And that just goes back to my point that they're drama kings and queens. They're going to draw attention to themselves at some point. Oh, yeah. Now, Finley, he can't arrest any of the brothers or the father, Southern. He only has warrants for Bob and Kate. So he takes them and their four-month-old baby into custody. And at some point that night, the brother and father came back and tried to free Bob and Kate, but failed. Uh, This from the New York Daily Herald. Before going into the house, old man Southern and his two boys, against Tim Finley had no warrants, were discharged. They went off in the woods, but returned before the captors and prisoners had finished breakfast. They made a dash at the prisoners, evidently intending to release them, drawing two pistols which they had kept concealed, the youngest Southern charging with nothing but a club in his hands. Finley was watching out for them, however, and just as they reached the prisoners that were overpowered and disarmed without firing a shot, the old man was struck in the mouth with a pistol and badly wounded. It seems like, and there's a a great irony here, before they really fully understood the situation, they made some assumptions. They assumed at first that they were being arrested for the Tollgate incident. I mean, if I had murdered somebody and then went on the run and then hopped a Tollgate, I would go ahead and assume when I was captured it was probably for the murder. But that's just me. If they had realized from the start that this was about the murder, the papers speculated that they would have fought to the death. This would have ended in somebody dying, or multiple somebodies, possibly. Yeah, but they they were like, oh no, it's probably the crime we just did, and (laughs) so I guess it's fine. I mean, I guess proximity in time, you know, you'd be like, oh, we just did a crime, we're probably being hauled in for that. So it, it really upset them when they realized they were being taken in for murder. Detective Finley takes the couple and their baby back to Pickens to face justice. There's something fishy about this. I want to pause before we get into, you know, everything that happened once they were taken to jail. To note that there were no newspaper accounts that I saw, and I looked pretty hard, of the incident, the murder, when it happened. I noticed that, too. I thought that was mighty strange. Isn't that very odd? It's only after they're captured that we have any accounts of this whole thing. So everything we have is memories from over a year after the murder. And that, to me... Okay, so one thing that stuck out to me was the dialogue that we get here. You have danced enough, you know. Yeah. It was no man. All that stuff feels a little too clear for what we normally get with old-timey crimes. Granted, this was a crime that many people witnessed. So you are going to have more accounts than a lot of the crimes we have where, you know, somebody was poisoned in a house or somebody was murdered in a ditch and nobody saw it. But at the same time, generally, if you see that kind of dialogue in papers from this time period and well beyond it, it's usually fiction. It's a short story. It's a serial or maybe, maybe a court case, but generally it's fiction. So that kind of raised a little red flag to me as like maybe a lot of this is kind of either made up or misremembered or something. But it's very strange to me that the murder happened 
There's nothing in the newspapers. A year later, they're captured, and that's when we have accounts of it. Well, and I wonder if it, it wasn't because it was during a ball that it happened, and, I mean, rich people know a lot of people that are high up the food chain and yeah. was like, keep this out of the papers. I don't want this to taint my image. You had even the governor offering a reward. So it would have had to have been known. You would think. I mean, they would at least want to advertise that reward. You would think Narcissus' family, if they're also offering a reward, would, would want word to get out. And I mean, it, it's just very, very strange to me. So I don't know. You're absolutely right, though. I hadn't even thought about that. Isn't that weird, just in general? I've never seen that before, where the actual murder is just not even commented upon in the press until the, the suspects are captured a hmm. year later. Very, very weird. Very weird. So anyhow, I just wanted to note that little strangeness because it was really, really kind of like digging at my brain. So this lovely little family of three took up residence at the jail in Atlanta, all in a cell together, at their request. The baby was a boy, and they named him Grady. Uh, he doesn't show up in there. Do you have something else for his name? You have a funny look on your face. Mm -hmm. What do you have? According to Ancestry.com, the baby was a girl and did not have a name because... The baby died in 1879, born in 1878. Okay, all right. Well, it wasn't the child wasn't listed on find a grave, so that explains that. I kind of figured that the child had died. Yeah, they just have they have it listed as baby girl Southern. Okay, but it's totally possible that it's baby boy Southern, and they just have that wrong. But this was not something I saw replicated elsewhere. This was in one newspaper article. Yeah, and I didn't see it anywhere else. Um, I'm wondering if that was maybe made up. Because of the fact that the child was named Grady, and uh, the writings of a judge named Grady, uh, I don't have a lot about this in my notes, but the writings of a judge named Grady later played a part in Kate's fate. So, I'm not sure, but... Now, this family, whether it be an unnamed baby girl or a boy named Grady, uh, Finley said as far as the, the, the parents were concerned, he quote, and remember... This is the detective who captured them. Quote, never saw a more perfect devotion in his life than exists between Southern and his wife. What is with all the rhyming? Why do I feel like Dr. Seuss? <laughs> and that their only request was that they never be separated. And apparently they really meant that. Really meant that. When the idea of hanging was brought to his attention, Bob Southern said, well, when one dies, we all die. And Kate agreed, and I just can't help but wonder, are they including their baby in that? <sighs> I hope not, but... Who was still alive at that point, because it was still 1878? It's just strange to me. I'm like, Christ, Kate, that's your baby. That's your baby. Hey there, beloved listeners. If you're enjoying this episode, then you absolutely should check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey, which is the absolute best way you can support the show and get something in return. For just $5 a month, you get five bonus episodes a month. On the Patreon, we frequently talk about old-timey crimes you won't hear about anywhere else. Crimes that have been forgotten by time and erased by history that you won't read about on Wikipedia, Murderpedia, or really anypedia. We also delve into the old newspapers, for the wacky wild crimes like the thieving lion tamer and the spaceman intruder. Or talk about strange, delightful customs like nutting day while learning about the time people rioted over cheese. <laughs> so come we can't even talk about it in our own promo without giggling. I love nutting day. <laughs> nutting day is the best day. So come check out the Patreon for more of the weirdest wildest and most shocking old-timey crime. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. Where's the link? <laughs> In the show notes. <laughs> I knew I was not going to get through Nutting Day without giggling. As the news spreads, there are a lot of questions about what will become of Kate. Will she be hanged? 
The newspapers tell us that most people in the area thought, yes, she'll be hanged. But the journalists remembered the outcry the last time a woman had been sentenced to the gallows and doubted that any judge would go through that again. Now, according to the papers, this is all very confusing, but at that time, there had only been one hanging of a white woman, they take pains to specify that, in Georgia, who was named either Nancy or Susan Eberhardt and was hanged along with her lover as they'd murdered his wife, who was a bedridden paralytic, together. Uh, it's really kind of confusing. I couldn't find a whole lot of records of that, aside from the articles that just mentioned her many, many years later. But Polly Barclay was hanged in Wilkes County, Georgia in 1806. And I saw one modern source that another woman was executed. So really, it's happened more than the papers are reporting. Just for some reason, I don't know why. They want to make this seem special or something? I really don't know. But you know, at the time, I, I want to point out the timeline, though, for the baby. Sure. Because they did say that when they caught up with them, the baby was six months old. I heard saw four in some places. Either way... She was pregnant when she killed Narcissa. Oh. I didn't think about that timeline yet, because if the baby was four months old, nine to ten months gestation, that puts it at either you know, 13 or 14 months. Ooh. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about that. So that might have been even more cause for, like, being very hormonal. I mean, not that hormonal is an excuse to murder a woman, but It's been used in court, and... <laughs> true, true, true. But it just, wow, okay. Yeah. I wonder if she knew she was pregnant at the time of the murder or not. I wonder when she found out. Well, so if the baby was four months old, she probably didn't. Probably didn't. If the baby was six months old, she probably did. Yeah, I would say that's probably accurate. One thing that really drove me batty, aside from the fact that when the actual murder happened, there was no coverage, was that a lot of articles, most articles, basically just told you about the final outcome of the trial and said something along the lines of, the trial was intensely exciting. But they don't actually give you any details, which drove me bonkers. I hated that. It's like, boy, you should have seen that trial and in other news. Right? Bastards. But the Memphis Daily Appeal has my back. Thank you, Memphis Daily Appeal. They actually had details. They sent a reporter to the trial. Narcissa's family hired... Remember, everybody here is rich. Narcissa's family hired two attorneys to help the Solicitor General, which apparently was a thing you could do. I doubt you can still do that today. <laughs> it feels a little bit like... Generally, the people on the state side are appointed or elected. Now, and the Southerns and the Hambricks, which was Kate's family, hired five lawyers, quote, comprising the very best talent of the upcountry. And this team was headed by Congressman H.P. Bell. You would think this would give her an advantage. No. Over on Murder by Gaslight, Robert Wilhelm tells us that one person remarked that it would have been better to have no attorney whatsoever. Yeah, I did see that. I did see that. So I was I was looking in the book um, that is very, very tiny print and hurts my eyes very much <laughs> uh, to see what was so exciting about the trial. And it seems that the most excitement from the trial was Kate fainted. Ah, yes, yes, yes. And, and that is always just a doozy. <laughs> And she did uh, have her baby with her the entire time in her arms. A description of Kate at the trial. She was thinner than she was when she was captured, but her form is still shapely and rounded. She was bent slightly forward and had a not ungraceful stoop in the shoulders. Her face was exceedingly white and her cheeks glowed with a hectic color. I, I don't understand how a stoop in your shoulders can be not ungraceful. But, you know, so, like, she was holding her baby, so I bet her shoulders True. were kind of, like, rounded to, like, pr protect the baby. It's kind of like a natural thing where you kind of move your body to shield. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it could be, like, a motherly stoop. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. I'll accept it. 
it does seem like aside from the fainting, she was pretty chill and just kind of soaking in the vibe, chatting with her friends and family through most of the trial, which had to be such a contrast to all the testimony about her jealousy, which is described as amounting, quote, almost to insanity. Uh, another quote from the newspaper, her hatred of Miss Cowart was furious. In July, it was proved that she had said she would kill Narcissa Cowart if she didn't let Bob Southern alone. It was proved that she had frequently said she would cut Narcissa's heart out if she ever tried to come between Kate and her husband. It was further proved that after the killing, she said to her mother, I am glad she is dead. I intended to kill her a long time ago, and I'm glad I've done it at last. Seems a little not remorseful. Not remorseful at all. Around this time, the defense tried to change the plea to insanity. And again, over on Murder by Gaslight, Robert Wilhelm says that the mere suggestion was met with jeers from the prosecution. <laughs> At another point, the newspapers have the defense begging to change the not guilty plea to one of guilty, but instead plea down to voluntary manslaughter instead of murder. And that was also not even considered. It was just a complete shit show from her defense's side. And part of that was how the legal system worked. Nowadays, you have discovery where if the prosecution has some evidence, they have to send it over to the defense. That was not a thing back then. So the defense had no idea what witnesses were going to come up. They had no idea what evidence was going to come up. They were just flying completely blind. Nothing. They had no information. And they had no witnesses of their own either. This is where we get a little bit of testimony um, regarding Narcissa's character. This is, I mentioned her ex-sister-in-law. She said uh, Narcissa, which I'm assuming is her husband who left her, the sister of, of yeah. him. Uh, Narcissa had men over at night all the time and was, quote, not only unchaste, but grossly so. She's grossly unchaste. I just, I love the phrasing there. It's, it's very evocative. <laughs> and then it's time for the closing arguments, and we're not paying all these lawyers the big bucks to keep quiet. Seven speeches. Seven speeches. I mean, they're lawyers. Just have one from each side. I draw straws, take a vote, something. No, everybody gets a turn to talk. Everybody gets a turn to talk. In the early days of summer in a Georgia courthouse in the 1870s. Oh, I bet it smelled good in there. And it was five days of trial. So yeah, I bet it smelled good. A few hours of deliberation. The jury came back with the verdict. Guilty of murder and sentenced her to hang. And she had her baby in her arms when she was sentenced to death. One newspaper article did hint that she was pregnant again. Just hinted at it, said, uh, reference the baby that she had, then mentions, quote, another young life yet more tender and dependent on hers, which we would presume would be a child she was pregnant with. And this is where she really, the, the, the vibe just falls apart for her. Quote, at this time, Mrs. Southern broke down for the first time since the trial had opened. She fell forward over the child in her lap and gave way to terrible sobs. The scene was fearful. From the judge on the bench to the bailiff, there was scarcely a dry eye in the room. The fathers and brothers of Miss Cowart gave way to their feelings and, hiding their faces, cried like children. Every moment or so, Mrs. Southern would strain her baby to her breast and rise as if she was going out and then fall back in her chair, bend forward, and sob again. Apparently, the baby was just the complete opposite, unusually cheerful, babbling, and, you know, grabbing at things, which is kind of darkly hilarious to me. <laughs> like the contrast, I really enjoyed that in a grim sort of way. Kate was sentenced to hang in one month and nine days, although there were already motions for a new trial, which would delay that. And the thing is, is that this was, by law, you had to execute the sentence, as the law put it, between 30 and 60 days from the session of the court. They were like, once you're sentenced to hang, 
this is happening <laughs> in a month or two. It's said that only executive clemency, so the governor coming down and saying, okay, don't hang her, would save her. And the current governor, the newspapers told us, doesn't like to interfere with the judiciary. Uh, yet he does. So in this case, he does. A little 10 days after receiving the death sentence, the governor commuted her sentence to 10 years in prison. Everyone had been lobbying for this. Quote, an immense pressure for commutation was brought to bear on the governor, and his decision gives the liveliest satisfaction. Everybody, like, nobody wanted to see her hang. Nobody. Well, except for two of the jurymen who said before they even were put on the jury that they were going to sentence her to hang. Yeah, we kind of try to avoid that these days. But back then they were just like, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> on to the jury with you. She was almost like a star. After the commutation, I mean, she still had to go to the penitentiary. So she's taken to Atlanta to be put in the penitentiary there. And the newspaper, the Atlanta Constitution, tells us of the absolute scene. It is hilarious and weird, and I love it. Such a crowd as rarely ever assembled in this city gathered at the depot to see her. The police captain succeeded in getting her to the ladies' waiting room when the jam became so terrific that the doors were locked, and he, mounting a window, appealed to the people to be quiet and not crush the door. He promised them if they would allow the police to make a way through the crowd, he would bring Kate Southern out and take her to the train. Otherwise, he would keep her in the waiting room all night. They do manage to get her on the train, but the crowd is still holding things up. So they promise that if people will behave, they'll let everybody file past her window and see her. Quote, The window was raised and the crowd gazed on her in silence, each man passing by the window after he had seen her. She's got her baby and Bob next to her, and she's by the window. And now all these men are just walking by and just like staring at her through How the open window. How creepy would that be? So creepy. I, it's so weird. The penitentiary was not quite how we think of it. It was some sort of a camp, and she was giving a house. She was she was giving. She was given a house. She was given a house. Yes, and. Uh, she lived in the house with her baby. She was put in charge of sewing for the convicts. This was also the same penitentiary where her sister was incarcerated. So whole family reunion and Bob's there too. Of course, when the husband of a murderer comes to the penitentiary with his wife, what do you do? You employ him as a guard. Because that makes sense. He was going to be there for the conjugal visits anyway. I know, I know. But, like, seriously, conflict of interest. He's probably like, look, I'm going to be here a lot. You got a job. I'm going to be living right there. I mean, I'm going to be in there whether you like it or not, so you may as well let me guard the ladies. I'm, I'm, I am surprised that they didn't try to make a break for it. I'm, I was very surprised by that. They got a free house. I know, right? Everything was pretty much what, what they could have asked for. Yeah, yeah. They weren't being super punished. Eventually, another position came around, and Kate was placed in the household of some other high-up dude and was working as a domestic servant. Bob found other work in Atlanta. In 1882, just four years after she started serving her sentence, Kate got her pardon, and they went back to Pickens County. They lived there kind of peacefully for a while, had five other children at least hmm. who all survived to adulthood and beyond. What are you giggling at? Also in 1882, when she got her pardon. Uh-huh. The pardon was from Governor Colquitt. Uh-huh. She had her son, Alfred Colquitt Southern. <laughs> and the governor who gave her the commutation from the death sentence, he had relied a lot on the writings of somebody named Grady, which is why they said she named her son Grady, but may have not made well, and son. It, it is possible that, because, um, so I, I went and I looked in the book just to see if they ever said son or daughter. They never did. Mm -hmm. So it is possible that they at least nicknamed the baby Grady. Yeah. 
And it's possible that it was a boy. Nobody knows. It does seem to be a thing that she did where she, she named children sometimes after the people who had helped her be able to be free and have the children. Ten of them. Ten of them, yes. Oh, you had ten. Okay. There was only five listed on Find a Grave, so I'm glad you found the, the more. <laughs> oh, man. They were busy. At least five of their children survived to adulthood and beyond. I don't know about, I mean, obviously the, the baby who was in the jail with them didn't make it. One, two, three, four, five, six of them at least. Okay. All right. Um, I have some others that were unknown mm-hmm. um, with death dates, but at least six of them did survive. That's a decent rate. Not horrible, not great, but it's okay. Six out of ten ain't bad. It's not bad. Not bad for these days. Especially when you have uh, a family that is kind of involved in uh, illegal business. Uh, in 1886, Bob Southern got into a little spot of trouble. His brother had an illegal still making some liquor that was raided and seized. Now, that had happened in 1883. It wasn't until 1886 that it caught up to him. So what happened was... The brother, who's never named which brother it was, was arrested and transported to, for some reason, the home of a man who ran a government distillery. I don't, I don't understand any of that. Why they're taking, is, is this man some sort of a liquor official and that's why they're taking him there? Are they just taking him there to give him a tour and show him how the big boys do it? What's happening? No idea. I don't get it, but... Bob Southern and two other Southern brothers came to the house and stole one of the officer's pistols, made a couple threats, and then fled. That night, quote, a fine buggy belonging to the officers was slashed to pieces. It also seems like they slashed up the horse some. Oh. Yeah, it was very... But very, not the horse. I know, it was very unclear uh, whether the horse even lived or died, uh, but they did tie a note to his tail that warned the officers to stay out of their county. Took three years, like I said, for this to catch up to him, but he was charged with conspiracy and fined $500 and sentenced to nine months in jail. The Atlanta Constitution ends their article about this by saying, as to whether his wife can follow him to the penitentiary as he once followed her remains to be seen. Now, she's probably going to stay home with the kids, I would think. He was still bootlegging in the late 1880s, although they did move to Alabama. And they stayed there for the rest of their time. Didn't really get into any trouble that was at least noted. Uh, Kate died, age 68, in 1927. And just three years later, Bob died, age 74. That's all I have on the Bell of the Mountains. Do you have anything else? Uh, I do have a little piece that I had found. So one of of Kate and Bob's children, Alden, um, his kids actually ended up being in the papers. Ooh, okay. So this would be Kate's grandsons. Alden had three boys, and the Southern brothers um, were actually quite different than Bob and his brothers. So these boys were very popular in school. They actually left school to volunteer in the Air Corps. Oh. And then they came back and, and finished going to school. And the three brothers actually uh, sang together. They were notably good singers. And the trio would sing gospel music at uh, different community events. There's something about this family that is really stick together you know? They're, like, loyalty to family runs in their blood. Yeah. Well, and it was actually very sweet because I did see another article that one of the brothers was offered um, a pro baseball contract. Oh. And declined it so that he could finish his schooling. Oh. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. So the good ones skip a generation is what happened here, maybe. Yeah, really. All right. Uh, That was really... Kate kind of fascinates me. She led a really... Wild life. I don't think she was wild, though. I th- she wasn't wild. I think she was very much in love. But her life was wild due to the circumstances around her. And she was in I love. I think it turned her wild. She fell in love with somebody that needed wild, and mm-hmm. she had to stay wild to keep her man. Apparently, and yeah. 
that was what was important to her. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's got their priorities. And I mean, I guess she kept them, so good yeah, yeah. for you. I do wonder if he continued stepping out, like, after, you know, they were on the run or after they were out of jail. I'm I'm sure he did a few times. And I'm going to say it because of the order of the kids, there was a couple times where there was a gap of, like, three or four years before they had another one. And I'm like, he stepped down. She, she put the lockdown on that shit. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Don't make me kill another one, Bob. <laughs> I could come up with conspiracy theories for days about why the actual murder itself was not covered in the paper. I don't know. Oh, I'm sure. Rich you know. people though. Yeah. Rich people. So, um, uh, I have two recipes actually for you. Okay. Do uh, I have to eat them today? No, you don't have to eat them today. Okay. Which you should be glad for. Uh, the first one, no, these are from 1878. I found them in cookbooks of okay. the day. Uh, portable soup. Okay. Cut into small pieces, three legs of veal, one of beef, and the lean part of a ham. Lay the meat in a large cauldron with a quarter of a pound of butter at the bottom, four ounces of anchovies, and two ounces of mace. Cut six small heads of clean washed celery, freed from green leaves, and put them into the cauldron with five large carrots cut fine. Cover all clothes and set it on a moderate fire. When the gravy begins to draw, keep taking it off until it is all extracted. Then cover the meat with water, let it boil gently four hours, then strain it through a hair sieve into a clean pan till it is reduced to one third. Strain the gravy into a pan and let it boil gently until it is of a glutinous consistence, which is how I like all of my food to be described. Season with cayenne. Pour it in, pour it an inch thick in dishes and dry in the sun. Put them in tight boxes. <laughs> so to me, this sounds like they basically used like the fat from the butter and the meat to make like a, it, their own gelatin. And they basically made meat flavored jello. That's what it sounds like to me. It's, it sounds like really super old school meat jello. Yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. I don't know that it would be good, but sure. This next one, uh, a nice drink to go along with your portable soup slash meat jello. You couldn't actually have this one, but I don't think you would want to. It's called milk lemonade. Oh. Dissolve half a pound of sugar in a quart of boiling water. Amber is shaking her head vehemently. Add half a pint of fresh lemon juice and the same of sherry wine. And lastly, two-thirds of a pint of cold milk. Stir together and strain. Yeah, you'd have to strain because when you add milk and citrus, curdling happens. Yep, yep. Ah. Although Jackson did point out that probably whoever came up with Orange Julius, people thought he was crazy until they tasted it. Perhaps. Or she. He or she. I don't know who came up with Orange Julius. I don't know. But, so, yeah, those are your recipes. <laughs> They were something else that I'm telling you what, at least I didn't tell you about the absolutely horrific methods of preserving meat that were in this same cookbook. Oh, yeah. No, I know some of those. It's terrible. It's terrible. We're, we're using charcoal. We're using sour milk. Well, and that's part of the reason that I said that six out of ten surviving to adulthood is amazing for this time period. Exactly, yeah, because in addition to all the diseases you have going around, you also have the lack of refrigeration and the fact that people didn't really know how to preserve food fully effectively. I mean, I'm sure maybe the charcoal or the sour milk did something, but they're like, when your meat is rancid, and I'm like, no, when it's rancid, throw it away. <laughs> when it's rancid, make meat jello. Yeah, right? And so, you know, you probably had a lot of food poisoning, especially, oh, sure. yeah, we've talked about that before with the lack of refrigeration and especially in the Lizzie Borden episode that came up a lot <laughs> because they were just constantly sick for like three days because they were eating bad fish for three days or mutton or something. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, send us your town. I want to learn more about it. I want to see if I can find the murder. It's very exciting to me because the very first submission that we got, hi, Chris, was... A town and a murder. I would never have found this murder. Otherwise, I would never have found it um, on my own. So the fact that, you know, the very first one bore fruit very quickly is very exciting to me. Uh, so, yes, please send us your town and we will delve into it and see if we can find uh, murder and crime in uh, the old timey times in your town and tell you a little something about your town that you didn't know about. 
Old Towny Crimey. There you go. So it doesn't have to be a small town. It's cities. Cities are fine too. Wherever. Wherever you live, just send us your town. OldTimeyCrimey at gmail.com or OldTimeyCrimey over on Twitter and on Facebook. So, um, Patreon. Don't forget about the Patreon. Amber, we told each other some really fascinating stories today. Yes. Tell me a little summary of the story you told me. I uh, told Christy about parting being such sweet sorrow because I told her about uh, some candy murders. And I told Amber about a woman who was found in a well with her throat slashed and her head gashed by an axe. And the cover was on the well and everything, and yet her children still were trying to insist that it was suicide. <laughs> don't don't think so. And yeah, it had a weird kind of ending. And then, for some reason, the name of the woman's daughter, when I looked into future newspapers, kept on popping up in relation to other crimes. But I'm never sure if it's actually her. It's hard to say, yeah. Yeah, because I, I wasn't able to find enough details on her. So, yeah, that's the, she's going to be popping up more or people with her same name in the future as we delve into those. So, yeah, come on, come on over to the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. And you can get all of that that's coming up in the next couple of weeks plus a well over 100 back episodes. Uh, it, there's there's just so much there. It's uh, super fun. We have a great time over there. You should come join us. And um, yeah, that's all my stuff. So, uh, you know, go rate and review. Don't forget to do that. It really does. Um, rate, review, subscribe, do all the things. Do all the things. It really does help. And yeah. Okay. Um, don't. No, do. Do. Just do. Just do. Just do. <laughs> I guess that's our advice for the week. Just do. So, uh, yeah. Um, one second. I did have something for a second. Did you? Because I'm about to pee my pants. I can tell that. I'm, I'm trying to hurry. I'm trying to hurry. Okay. All right. So, yeah. That, that's, all, that's all I got. Uh, don't give seven speeches as, as uh, closing arguments. How about that? Okay. That <laughs> all works. Right. And bye. Bye. Sources. My sources this week are Wikipedia, Murder by Gaslight, and Newspapers.com, and Library of Congress. Thank you, Chris Garcia, for the former New York Daily Herald, Shelby Sentinel, Memphis Daily Appeal, I can't talk, Atlanta Constitution, and the Ledger Inquirer. My sources are Murder by Gaslight, Find a Grave, Ancestry.com, Newspapers.com, Indiana State Sentinel, The Des Moines Register, Empire City Echo, Haleyville Advertiser, Homer Guardian, as well as the book that I did mention earlier, do 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 what the fuck's it called? The Sad Case of Mrs. Katie Southern, The Beautiful Virtuous Georgia Wife. All right, and it's okay. by Anonymous and most of this stuff. Nipples. Nipples. Fucking allergies. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus H. Christ. I can't say that without saying it like Eddie Munson. <laughs>